listening to Vet Candy. Hi, this is Dr. Jessica Turner, and you are listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica. You're one stop for all things wellness, not just what to eat or how to move, but everything in between. And I know I say it all the time. I mean, y'all know my thing, my passion is just well-being beyond those like expected concepts, specifically with mental well-being. But most of the shows are focused around personal stories and experiences and I love those, but there's something about having those facts in front of you, which is why I'm excited about today's guest, because we're going to be digging into one of the latest studies um, focusing on veterinary well-being. So today's guest, we have Dr. Joseph Hahn. He is the executive director of the U.S. Companion Animal and Equine Professional Services of Merck Animal Health. In his current role, Dr. Hahn has been a champion for the enrichment of the veterinary profession helping to sponsor and advance initiatives from the AVMA, Not One More Vet, the Veterinary Hospital Managers Association, MentorVet, and others. Prior to joining Merck Animal Health, Dr. Hahn was in practice for six years. He spent those first four years in clinical practice and general practice. And during those years, he was able to gain experience from everything from large corporate practice to small one doctor practices. In his last six years, he was in emergency medicine in Chicago, and Dr. Hahn received his DVM degree from the University of Illinois College of Veterinary Medicine in 1998. So it's such an honor to have you on today, taking time out of your busy schedule. And so just thank you for for doing that. Thank you for having me. And just one correction, I I was in practice for 10 years. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. No problem. But thank you for having me. Um, I'm so happy, so happy to be here. And to talk about a topic that is very important to me and incredibly important to the profession. I always like to kick things off with what's your story? You know, what led you to doing the work that you're so passionate about today? I know we kind of got a brief history of what that looked like coming out of vet school and how you ended up with Mark Animal Health, but just share a little bit more about, you know, what's kind of taking you to, to this place of the work that you're doing now. It's funny. It starts back with with my story and four years in general practice and then six years of emergency in Chicago. And at the end of those six years, I was completely burned out. And we, we didn't know how to call it wellness at that point. But my wellness at that point was at its lowest point point ever. And, you know, coming out of practice, I thought I have to find something else. I can't do this anymore. The emergency just really took it out of me. Was very fortunate to get a job with the company that, that became Merck Animal Health. Uh, working in the field, uh, working with the veterinarians and um, teaching them about our products. And what I found was, um, as I started to manage people in the field, I found a few things. One, I really got got a lot of pleasure out of making their jobs easier and, and better. So that led me down that that wellness path a little bit. But I also realized that my ability to affect pets and the profession really started to exponentially grow as I'm not just treating the, the patient in front of me, now I'm helping veterinarians and, and the profession so they can then go out and help veterinarians and more pets than I could ever uh, get to just by myself. I could relate to that because I've had a, a similar shift in roles. And it's always funny when people find out that I'm a veterinarian, but I no longer practice. It's almost like a, 
I don't know. It's like they're disappointed for me, <laughs> you know, like they don't understand. And I always just say, oh, no, it's great now because now I get to work with the veterinarian. And, you know, it's I'm still making a difference in the field. It's just it just looks a little different. But I know I found myself in a similar position where, you know, my well-being was at the bottom of the totem pole of things. And I personally had to make a choice to do some things that I kind of had kept putting off with my own mental well, uh, well-being and health. And it, it was just the smartest move to step away at that point. But at the same time, I think I held on to that. Like I could still do something else and still be a part of this profession. And like you said, it, it's almost like you're able to multiply your efforts because you are making such a big impact on all these other veterinarians and helping them do what we all started out, you know, wanting to do. And, and, and I'm, I'm often, when I tell people I'm no longer in practice, they're like, oh, you're no longer a veterinarian. It's like, no, I'm still a veterinarian. <laughs> I just do something different. I think that's why so many of us struggle with that identity of if we're not in practice, then we, we aren't a veterinarian because so much of the general public feels that way. <laughs> but it's people like us that are going to help, you know, be part of that change in, in education. So I, I know I'm excited to dig into this study, as I know you are as well. So this was the third um, study of its type, correct? Yes, that's correct. The idea really started in 2015 with uh, Dr. Linda Lord, who was one of my colleagues. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us, but I'm very honored that I get to continue the great work that she started. And she was one of the first ones to realize, hey, this is something we need to take a close look at. So our first study came out in 2017. We repeated it in 2019, and we repeated it again in 2021. And we've learned each time new things. This year, we really, you know, at the, as the third study, we're really kind of getting a handle on what are some of the, the causes, where are some of the problems that are coming. But now we're getting a handle on where can we put some of our resources? How can we help make things better? Not just what's the cause of the problem, but what could some of the solutions potentially be? You got to start with awareness, but if we don't know where to go from there, then there was the point. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. This is Dr. Jessica Turner from Living Well with Dr. Jessica. When life is busy, it's easy to put your personal needs at the bottom of your list of things to do. That's why you need to read my book, Best of Living Well with Dr. Jessica. Discover ways to care for yourself, improve your happiness and well-being. Check it out for free at Kindle Unlimited, Apple Books, and even at MyVetCandy.com. It is time to make your wellness a priority. I know there's so much, you know, within in the profession since, you know, the pandemic that has just, I mean, amplified so many of the stresses that were already kind of there. But I would love for you to kind of touch on some of the things that y'all found that were shifts from 2019 to, to 2021 because of, you know, the challenges that come with COVID and, and kind of having to just live in a whole different manner, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot of that in there. And we can talk about, you know, let's talk about first 
the stuff that may not be so good, and then let's let's talk about where we can make a difference. With this study in 2021, we did notice that serious psychological distress in veterinarians has increased from the 2019 study, went from 6.4% to 9.7%, which was a significant increase. Uh, COVID did play a, a part of that. We talked about, you talked about that, and we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, COVID did play a part of that. For the first year in our third study, we actually surveyed the staff as well, front staff, hospital managers, veterinary technicians, and among staff, the prevalence of serious psychological distress was almost twice as high. They're almost at, they're, they're at about 18%. So it is a profession-wide, not just veterinary, but a profession-wide issue that we have to have to deal with. We found that, you know, in the previous years, we call them the three S's, uh, where veterinarians are very concerned. Concerned about stress of the profession, concerned about suicide in the profession, and concerned about um, student debt in the profession. Uh, this year, we have to add a fourth, which is a shortage of veterinarians. Uh, veterinarians are very concerned about that. Actually, that was the biggest jump in concern this year by 32%. So went up uh, from in the 50s to into the 80s, where concern is staff as well are very concerned about not just veterinarians being there, but staff being there as well. So that those are things that we really got out of the study is the the concerns for for veterinarians. And I've definitely seen that in conversations within the veterinary community, specifically within mom veterinary communities. There's not enough resources. And I'm wondering how many people were forced to get out of the field because their kids were at home? Or, you know, did y'all explore any of that in this? We, we looked at a lot of that. And, and there's, there's competing theories and data, and I think it's probably a combination of all of them. When you look at the impact that COVID had, and it really did, you see that the practices were shorthanded at times due to staff being away because of illness or family care. So that was a big concern. And it was a big concern because it was something that was reality that was happening. Mm-hmm. And that led to uh, a lot of the psychological distress that we saw, people working longer hours. When you look at some of the other data out there, efficiency is a concern as well, not just the fact that we're, we're seeing more, not just the fact that you know people can't be in as often because they do have home concerns, they have other things, they got exposed or they got COVID, but also efficiency. When you move to a curbside type of scheduling, you're going to naturally see fewer patients because you just can't, you can't get them through as quickly and it's not going to be as, as easy to do. The other theory that we see is that since people are home more, they're home with their pets more and they notice things quicker. You know, you notice that all the time. They notice things quicker or they have time. You know, oh, I can, I can block off an hour where I don't have to, you know, be in a Zoom meeting as opposed to I'm in the office. I can run over to the vet and, and do something. So I think there's a lot of competing factors for why that is. And you put them all together and you get this perfect storm. I mean, so many of those situations, we just have absolutely no control over. So I'm curious, you know, to hear, you know, what y'all found are, are some of those things that we, we can do to kind of counter, you know, that, that shortage crisis that we're seeing. I, I'm glad you asked because there, there's a few things that we can do. Before we get there, I do want to just highlight a couple of other things that came out of the study data-wise, because I think once we start talking about the things that we can do, we're not going to go backwards. Let's talk about, about some of those things real quick. And, you know, we talked about some of the things that, that weren't so good. So burnout. Uh, we can talk about burnout. We actually looked at, at three different factors, serious psychological distress, well-being, and burnout. And while they're related, they're all a little bit different. With burnout, we did see that burnout was about the same. It's probably a little bit worse in 
the younger population of veterinarians than it is in the older population of veterinarians. The good news is it's no different than it is throughout the U.S. population. It's a problem that we have in the U.S. of burnout. It's not unique to veterinary medicine. We did find, and this will come back when we start talking about things that can be done, we did find that a calmer practice is more conducive to better well-being versus a, a chaotic, very busy, very busy practice. So you're more burned out if your practice is very chaotic and, and, and all over the map. Attitudes of veterinarians towards the profession is something that we've been tracking since 2017. And we're at the point, and it's relatively stable, but a little more than 50% of veterinarians would not recommend the profession to a friend or relative. Is, is difficult. We have to look at that as something that, that's not really sustainable. And for those that have a poor well-being, almost 20%, uh, one in five, say they regret becoming a veterinarian. And that's another thing that we have to look at is we have to improve the well-being so that people don't regret the career that they're, that they're in. One of my colleagues told a story. He was talking to one of the deans about this very bright veterinary student. I think it was third or fourth year saying that he was, he's, he's getting ready, he's going to go into emergency medicine, and he's already planning what he's going to do in five years when he burns out and has to do something else. We need to look at that and say, that can't be the attitude of students coming out. We have to, we have to look at that. And the final point that I want to make is, you know, there's been some, some data out there that's talking about veterinarians as a max exodus from the profession. People are going to leave in droves for whatever reason it happens to be. We actually looked at that. And when you look at the very likely category of those very likely to leave the profession in the next two years, anybody under 55, that percentage is, is solid and consistent at about 4%, which is not unusual or anything that we would be concerned about. It starts to increase as you get into the older age groups, as you would expect as they're starting to near retirement. So I don't see a max exodus coming from the, the profession, which is fantastic. That's interesting. I'm not going to lie. You know, when you go in through, would you recommend it to a family or a friend or, you know, do you regret it? I've definitely been in, in those categories where I'd say that I've been guilty of, you know, trying to dissuade someone or just be really sure that they, you know, know what they're kind of committing to. I could definitely say I don't regret any of it at this point, but I could see when I was in the middle of it, going through those, that thought process and man, what if I would have, you know, stuck with what I thought about, you know, instead I'm one of the rare, I feel like everybody that goes into vet school, like knew they were going to be a vet at like five years old. That's a very common, you know, story um, that is kind of opens up the show, but I, I was not in that boat. Um, I always wanted to go to medical school and then kind of shifted gears, but it, it's hard not to to question, you know, your decisions. And it's, it's really disheartening to hear stories such as when you shared of, of students already almost planning for a career change. You know, it's hard to know exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to end up being a part of the profession when you're just out of school, but to, to know that you're going to be that disappointed or that burnout. I mean, it's even more reason why we need to keep doing the work that you know, we're doing. Absolutely. And I would, the first thing I would say to you is don't feel guilty about, about that, because I think it's important when people say they want to do that, that they have a, a reality check of what that's like, because you and I know having been to the bottom and, and where things aren't so good, that if someone who has had this passion since they're five years old may not quite understand what they're really getting into. 
And they may still do it, but they should do it with their eyes open and knowing what, what's going on. So I absolutely understand where you're coming from. And, and I agree with you. I, I've had that same conversation with people who ask me about, you know, should, should this person become a veterinarian? Well, let's have a conversation. I'm not just going to say yes. And I'm working towards not like cringing when I see half of my girls' class when it was career day were dressed up as vets, you know, <laughs> because I think it's the idea, you know, at that age, they're seven. They think, you know, you just get to play with puppies and kittens all day. <laughs> right. Being someone from who was in emergency medicine, it is not puppies and kittens. I did see some puppies and kittens, but they weren't doing so well when I saw it. There's a lot of that that's in there as well. And, but at seven, they don't need to know that. But at, four, at 13, 14, 15, or going into college, yeah, they should know that kind of stuff. They can handle a little bit better. Absolutely. So let's get back to the question you really asked, which is the one I like to talk about the most, which is what can we do? And there's really, we've broken it down into two categories of what can the individual do and what can the practice do? What can the owners do? What can the employers do? The number one thing you can do as, a, as an individual, as a practicing veterinarian or a staff member, is have a healthy approach to dealing with stress. We are in an inherently stressful profession. There are times when we are making life or death decisions. It happens. We can talk about personality tendencies in a little bit, but having a healthy coping mechanism is key to learning this. And that's different for everybody. At vetwellbeing.com, we've got a number of different things that you can look at and find something that resonates with you. Maybe it's taking a five-minute walk or a 10-minute walk. Maybe it's doing a 10-minute meditation. Maybe it's a breathing exercise. If you've never heard of box breathing or 478 breathing or any of those, those can help if you just sit for a few minutes and just let things go. But you have to find what works for you. Some things work for me that won't work for you, that won't work for you know somebody else. But finding something is the key. You've got to find what, what works for you. That's the number one thing, a healthy coping mechanism. And we find, when we actually look at the data, those that have a healthy coping mechanism are far better on the well-being scale than those that don't. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Quincy Hawley, and I'm here to tell you about a new show. It's Vet Candy Rounds with the Hawleys. That's right, Dr. Tierra, the love of my life, and I have teamed up to bring you the most fascinating cases in the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or a podcast platform of your choice, only on Vet Candy Radio. Absolutely. And I love that you you mentioned, you know, not, not everybody's going to find breathing techniques work or you got to practice and it's okay if you, I don't feel any different after doing that or that didn't help at all. Like <laughs> nothing's wrong with you. You shouldn't give up, you know, finding uh, what works for you. I could definitely vouch for a lot of those things make such a significant difference. So whether you're in the practice or you're dealing with a meltdown with your toddler or, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. There's just so much behind those simple things that we could easily brush off and say, well, that's not going to help. But we know that there's a science behind it that backs it too. And we love, you know, all the ins and outs of why things work. That's why we're in the field we are. But a lot of us don't, you know, they don't, we don't take the time to, to learn anything that's pertaining to us versus our patients. And so I, that's the part that got me really interested in it. Tell me why this works. 
And if, if I could imagine, okay, well, that's causing that shift in my brain just by taking us, you know, a long inhale and exhale. Okay. That makes sense. I'm going to do it more because I understand why I'm doing it. And, and it takes habit forming. You could do it once, you could do it twice, but until you're doing it consistently, every morning, I just throw on a, a quick 10 minute meditation every morning before I get up. And it took a while for me to you know, remember and, and make sure that I did it. Now it's a habit. And it, I find that it helps me start the day. Let me just talk real briefly about personality tendencies. So there's what they call the big five personalities. We found that of the big five, neuroticism is the one that really is going to have an effect on stress and make you more vulnerable to having an adverse reaction to stress. Also, you look at introversion versus extroversion, and introverts have are a little bit more vulnerable to decreased well-being and, and more vulnerable to stressful situations, which is going to be no surprise to anybody. When we looked at our survey, veterinarians fall higher on the neuroticism scale than the general population and are more introverts. So we're a neurotic introverted profession. Nobody's surprised by that. And so that's going to make us more vulnerable to stressful situations, especially when we're working extremely long, extremely high hours per week, that's going to make us much more vulnerable. So we have to be careful of that uh, as well and know who we are and what's going to be one of our triggers and make us more vulnerable. I just took that test last week at the Big Five Personality. Our church shared a website that had all these you know, free assessments and you could unlock more if you wanted. And that was one of the ones I did. And I was very surprised, but granted, I think it's because I'm, I work from home now and I do very different work, how low that score was, the both of them actually. But I shared it with a group of veterinarians and I remember one specifically that was by far the two highest. And she was like, oh, that does, that's not encouraging, you know, but it's so powerful to be aware of those things. And I'm always so curious when there's studies like that, if they do look into that aspect of things, because we know that so many of us are wired very similarly. And it's almost like we're set up for some of the things we struggle with because, you know, of the type of person that is drawn to the profession. So I'm glad that you mentioned that and that y'all looked into that. Yes. And, and neuroticism is, is a cousin to perfectionism, which is something that it, you know, it's a positive for a veterinarian. You want to be perfectionistic when you're in surgery. You know, I always had my good night stitch, the one stitch I probably didn't need, but I put it in there anyway so I could sleep at night. You know, that's very important to, to understand that as well. Sometimes it's just about understanding who we are uh, that, that will help us. The, the second thing that we can talk about that the individual can do is to have a healthy work-life balance. And I'm going to put the, the work-life balance in air quotes. Uh, you can see my air quotes, but those on the podcast can't, but it's in air quotes. Because it's going to be individualized for everybody. For me, because of the work that I'm doing today, because of how I feel about how much I love my company and love my profession and, and love what I get to do, I lean a little bit more towards the work side. But that's okay because it really fills me with, with joy and, and it's fantastic. Some people will leave more. You've got young children. You're going to probably lean a little bit more towards the life side because you've got kids that need your, your attention. The key there is the word balance. Where is that balance for you, for the individual? One thing that did come out of this is that socializing with friends is a huge factor in, in increasing and determining well-being. And as a introverted neurotic profession, that's not our go-to. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I have a good friend of mine who we used to meet up a couple, three times a month before COVID. Then COVID hit and we couldn't see each other. 
So we decided we were going to put on Sunday afternoon, a happy hour every Sunday for us to Zoom together and just have a drink and talk and catch up on the week. We don't make it every time. Sometimes we have to push it to the middle of the week, but it's there and we, we do it. So that can, can look different in the environment we live in today, but socializing with friends is, is very, very important. Quite often I'll hear uh, or I'll see um, message threads within our, our community on like, I can't make friends. Like, how do you make friends as an adult? And I, I think it is a real struggle because like you said, so many of us, that's not our tendency. We, we want to go home and, you know, lock ourselves away, especially when you're working with people all day. But I, I do think it's so powerful. Like you shared, you know, just figure out something that's going to work. And granted, COVID made that a little more difficult. But I too have a, a friend that I we meet almost once a week through Zoom. She lives, you know, way, <laughs> we would never be able to get in person. We see each other maybe every, you know, two years. But just that that little bit of time and that consistent, like it's something we look forward to. And so I really hope, you know, our listeners are encouraged by what you shared and Yeah. So I I know we're kind of wrapping up what as a veterinarian we could do. And we just talked about the importance of finding that balance. Um, I'm glad you touched on how that's a personal thing as well. When I've talked on balance with, you know, I always say it's moms. It's not like, um, you know, (laughs) don't talk to those that don't have kids, but I feel like it's a day-to-day thing. I mean, some days you're going to be so you know, full force work, depending on what's going on. And you need to just understand that that's just that day. Don't beat yourself up. Um, And then the next day, who knows, you may have a a kid sick from home and all of a sudden like work has to go out the window. And so it truly is a balance. And I, I feel like there's no true, like you're in the the sweet spot and you just stay there. Um, you just kind of have to assess as you go and give yourself grace. So I'd love to to dive into the last thing that y'all revealed um, that veterinarians can do to help with all this. The last one is uh, engaging a financial planner. And that one may not be as, uh, you know, people may not be as feel as strongly about that one, but I would say feel as strongly or more strongly about that one than the other ones. I can't tell you how much of a difference it makes. We looked at salary increases from the 2019 study to 2021 study, and it, it looks like increases were actually better in this study from the last one. So that means that veterinarians are making more than they have, but serious psychological distress got worse. So it's not about how many resources you have, but how you utilize those resources. Those that engage in financial planner are less likely to, to have credit card balances, they pay off their debt faster. The difference in serious psychological distress between those that do and do not have a financial planner is a large number. Those who have a financial planner, the serious psychological distress was in the 5% range and it was in the 14% range that don't. So engaging a financial planner is a seriously helpful matter that I think everyone should, should try and do. And there's resources out there, AVMA has resources out there, there's certainly places where you can find resources to help find a financial planner. We had some incredible guys on around Christmas time. The Florida Veterinary Advisors, I believe is what they're, but they don't work with just, you know, people in Florida. But it was such a, a fun conversation to have with them because I, I truly believe that that is something that we shy away from because it's one of those things that's very intimidating. 
from a personal standpoint, I am lucky enough to be married to someone who loves numbers and we, we've always kind of know where we stand financially. And we both had a lot of debt when we came out of school because he's a pharmacist. And so we, we just had to be really intentional with it. But if it wasn't for him, I'd probably be one of those people that are more in the, not oblivious, but like, I'd rather just pretend like I have a, a hand on things, but realistically you don't. And like you said, if it's not something that is a concern, it really should be because it's one of those things where the more you know and the more control you have over it, the more freedom you really gain. And so I love that y'all dug into that and and are kind of spreading, you know, the resources that are out there regarding what vets can do about it. But we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to um, kind of shift gears into what we could do as employers. I love that this study included the veterinary staff as a whole. Um, that's something we try to bring in the conversations as well on the show. And so I'm excited to see what y'all found in that area. So we'll be right back. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hello, this is Caitlin Palmer. You probably know me as the desk wench. You know, the sweet TikTok receptionist who has to deal with the evil Karen Stevens. Well, if you like that, you are going to love my new podcast, Desk Wench Confessions. On my show, I have funny guests who tell me about their own Karens. Plus, we have contests, giveaways, and skits. Trust me, you are going to love it. Check it out on a podcast platform of your choice on Vet Candy Radio. Right. Welcome back, everyone. You were listening to Living Well with Dr. Jessica, and I'm here with Dr. Hahn. And we are digging into the latest study on veterinary well-being through Merck Animal Health. And we are about to shift gears into what you could do as um, employers uh, with the workspace to just tackle this head on. Because we're, we're seeing with the numbers that it's not just a problem with the veterinarians, like you mentioned, and even more so, what y'all revealed with staff was even worse. And so I can't wait to see, you know, what y'all found or, or ways that we can make a difference in that, in that area. I'm going to bury the lead a little bit. I'm going to go through a couple things we can do. And then the third one is actually the biggest one that we found. But the first two lead into that. The, the first one is we really have to not just acknowledge that low well-being and mental distress happens in our profession, but we need to encourage our team members to address it and talk about it. It has to be okay for us to talk about it in the profession. When we looked at the veterinarians and staff that needed to get psychological treatment or some sort of mental health treatment over the past 12 months, the majority of them that felt they needed it didn't get it. And, and for veterinarians, that was 60%. And for the staff, that was 65%. And that's just a, a number that we shouldn't say is okay. If we need help, we have, to, we have to get it. So it has to be okay to talk about. It has to be okay to bring to your boss, to bring to your associate, to bring to your colleague. That's really, really important. And I'm about to give you a, an, an action item, which is our second thing that everybody can and should do, whether you're an employer or an employee, this is something you should know. So as an employer, you should provide resources in the form of either health insurance or an employee assistance program that 
allows for these benefits. And here's your instant action item. The instant action item is 38%, almost 40% of veterinarians, whether distressed or not distressed, did not know whether their health insurance had mental health or counseling treatment and coverage. That should be zero. And let's get that to zero. Let's ask now. Ask your employer, call your insurance company, find out, do I have those benefits? It's something we can do right now. As an employer, this is the first way you can start tackling what I just talked about, number one. You go into your staff meeting and say, hey, I called our insurance company. Here's the benefits that we have for well-being and mental health treatment. And now you've opened the discussion. Now you can start doing that. When it comes to an employee assistance program, you know, those are much more reasonable and affordable now. Small practices, as well as the large practices can have them. There's places that, that, that offer them. But again, another instant action item, we're in that 25 to 33% range of people don't know whether they have it or not. Why don't we know? We should know. Again, it's something you can start a staff meeting with. You can put a flyer, a poster up in the break room that says, here's how to get a hold of the employee assistance program. But those numbers of who does or doesn't know should go to zero. And it's a great way to start that conversation. I think that it's so easy as an employee to assume that our employer is going to think less of us or, you know, be concerned in a, in a negative way if we voice those things. And I know it, it took me, which the place that I worked with before I stepped away from practice was honestly like the best, you know, I felt like my boss was like second dad. I could have talked about anything, but I probably still wouldn't have just because there's that fear of, you know, well, are they going to keep that in the back of their mind if they're, you know, making decisions about, you know, whatever it may be. I love that you're talking about how simple it could be to bring it into the conversation and make it so clear that they're not going to be like penalized if, you know, they're honest about where they stand. We'd much rather be in that situation than find out, you know, down the road when they either quit or, you know, something worse even happens. Yeah, agree. Agree. It, it's, it's about starting the conversation. And if as, especially as the employer or the lead veterinarian or the medical director, whatever it happens to be, if you're leading that conversation, you're implying that it's okay to talk about. That takes us to the most important thing that we found when we did all the regression analysis, we found that a good practice climate was the most powerful predictor of good mental health and a high level of well-being for both veterinarians and support staff. And the four elements of that that are the most important are having a strong sense of belonging to a team, a high degree of trust in the organization, candid and open communications among team members. We just talked about that a, you know, a second ago. And sufficient time to provide the high-quality patient care that we expect to provide. Those are the four elements that if we put those together, we can absolutely make the environment better and increase well-being, decrease burnout for both veterinarians and staff. We're working with uh, Not One More Vet. I'm, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Not One More Vet, but we're in the process. They're, they're creating what they call, we're going to call their clear blueprint. And basically, it is a wellness certification for the practice. And Mercus is sponsoring that. It's in pilot phase now. We hope it's going to be out in the next few months. It'll be available to any practice that wants to go through it. And when we talk about providing a work climate that fosters well-being and mental health, this is what I talked about at the beginning. Where do we direct our resources? 
That's where we direct the resources to a program like that that's going to speak volumes to the staff when you put up the sign and everyone's gone through the the clear blueprint for well-being. I'm very familiar with the organization. That's exciting to know that that is something that they've been working on and or in the process of of implementing and being able to see the difference it's going to make. I know firsthand as the vet and working with, you know, staff members that have kind of come and gone that the environment, it really is everything. You know, if you're stuck in a toxic place, I don't know if any degree of, you know, breathing techniques or meditation is going to allow you to stay there for the long haul. And then, you know, that's if you're even making the the time to do those things. And we got to assume that half of our, our colleagues and, you know, support staff probably weren't. So I, I love hearing that. And I have to say, when I was writing my notes, when I got to provide sufficient time to provide high quality care, I literally said something out loud because that's the one that really hit me. Because I feel like with the shortage issue that the study highlighted, all of that just it ties together so closely. And we're working with less. We're expected to see more. And just that burden of being able to practice in the way that we know we want to and we can and feeling like we're having to kind of cut corners, I think it really wears down on, you know, us. And it makes us feel like we're not upholding, you know, what we went to school for. And so, again, everything's just really encouraging to hear what y'all found and and, and what's out there to, to really make change possible. So thank you again. Going back to the beginning, what drives me is this type of work, to be able to you know, get on the podcast and, and talk about it and get this information out there. It's important. Now we have some science, science behind it. We, we know what's going on. And you see that, that all of these things kind of work in together. We need sufficient time and we're predisposed when we don't get it. When we're working extra hours, we don't have time to see the one in front of us. And there's three more, you know, with our personality and, and where we're at as a profession, we're going to be more at risk for that. So really keeping the environment like this is the best thing we can do to protect ourselves and the rest of our profession. We'll be right back with more Vet Candy. Hey, this is Dr. Julio Alonso. Do you want to keep up with everything Vet Matt? Then check out my show on Vet Candy TV. We talk about clinical updates, science news, plus some of the coolest people in our profession. Stream at MyVetCandy 24-7 on YouTube, iTunes, and most other video platforms. Well, I want to make sure that our listeners know how they could find you, how they could find, you know, the nitty-gritty behind this study if they want to go and see, you know, the, the data themselves. Do you mind sharing that so that they could find you? Sure. It's at, it's at um, vetwellbeing.com. Also on the Merck Animal Health uh, website, you can see a link to the presentation itself and take a look at all the data. There will be uh, coming out, we're just, we're just finishing it now. There will be a study report that will come out in JAVMA probably in the next uh, month or so. We're just, we're finishing, finishing it up now. So we'll have even more of a deep dive uh, there as well. And you can reach me through the Merck Animal Health website. You can go in there and, and my, my information is up there. It'll get to me and I'm happy to answer any further questions or direct people to any resources that we may, that we may have. 
Great. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. This is just, you know, information that we had to be a part of sharing. I really appreciate it. Thank you and Vet Candy for letting me come on and talk about a, a topic I'm passionate about. Just getting the data is one thing, but letting everybody know what it is, is something else. And this is how we do it. So much appreciated. Well, thank you. Well, thank you for tuning in today. This is Living Well with Dr. Jessica. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye. It's Vet Candy. Vet Candy. Vet Candy. It's Vet Candy Radio.